4: This episode of C Here is dedicated to the memory of the one, and the only, Mr. Gilbert Godfrey. I encourage all of you to go out and cut up some orange slices in his arm. to the next episode of Year 96. We're getting up there, almost at the pinnacle, 100. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Usually, you're uh, used to listening to the dulcet tones of our brother from another mother, Morris. Morris, today, he's off at a John Hyatt look contest, so um, he couldn't be here, unfortunately, with us this Easter weekend. So here, it's just myself and... My other brother from another mother, Bath England, Mr. Bernard Stickwell.
2: Hey, Tim. How goes it?
4: Good. Today, uh, Bernie and I are going to be delving into a film from the Wayback Machine from the 1980s. We're going to be looking at, is it 82?
2: Um, I think it actually might be 81. Erga Music War. It's an interesting
4: delve, and in, you know, you'll hear more as we go on. And we're also going to talk about the British end of things with the ska movement with another film in comparison. So we're going to get into that as well. So we're going to play the trailer now for Erg. That should get a little taste of uh, what that is all about, and we'll be back with you shortly. Give me some
1: rhythm, some rhythm. Hey, man, what is this place? It's the rhythm I need. Suppose they gave a music war. I
0: need this. And poppy came. And this one is full of moral fiber.
1: And they kept on coming. Well, come on, little mama, let's tear this damn place up. Thirty-four bands, and we'll never play the brawl.
0: Thirty-five songs
1: that you'll never hear in an elevator. This time they've gone too far.
0: Egg. move.
2: Oh, before we start, Tim, I just want to let the listeners know that uh, even though Morris couldn't make it today, he did speak to our good friend Skiz Sizik, maker of the Tim Lane documentary, uh, about Urg Music War, because uh, Skiz has been working on and off on a, a little documentary about Urg over the last 20 years, apparently. So uh, Morris has recorded a little chat with Skiz, which we will be playing at the end of the programme once Tim and I have finished voicing our opinions here. So uh, you've got that to look forward to, people.
4: As far as I know from what I could find about information on the ERC is that it was kind of uh, put together somewhat in England. And uh, it was put together in conjunction with the work of Miles Copeland, who was uh, managing the police at the time. And he had the music rights for the longest time because when this came out, this was hard to get a hold of this film for a long time because no one was really sure who held the rights. The company that had put it out had gone out of business. Uh, the original release of VerG on Laserdisc or DVD, I think. And then, you know, it was one of those things where it just kind of fell between the cracks.
2: As I understand it, Tim, uh, and I think Skiz and Morris talk a little bit about this, it was something to do with performance rights.
4: Right, versus electronic.
2: Well, yeah, and, and it was basically, I think uh, either Miles Copeland or the company that had purchased the rights from him or whatever, had rights to show the film on certain formats. Yes. <laughs> right but since video is no longer an accepted format as you know being consigned to the dustbin of history there was some confusion which is apparently ongoing as to rights when it comes to DVD Blu-ray streaming and so forth so right but I understand and correct me if I'm wrong here you might know this Tim but I think the whole thing is actually on Canopy so you can see it if you can access Canopy
4: but uh, not just Canopy actually you can find it on archive.org okay yeah this film actually had a theatrical run initially mm-hmm. which is interesting and basically what it is is it's a collection of about 30 30 plus some odd um, different artists so it's almost if you can imagine a visual mixtape from the 80s early 80s and it gives a pretty wide uh, range of, of the variety of music that was coming out of the time. And I think one thing that needs to be clarified is that this is not just a quote unquote punk film. This is more of a wider, far wider range than that. And this is you know what was considered at the time to be new
2: wave that's kind of the sticking point in a way isn't it because you know how, how do you define the term new wave but yeah it, it's new music isn't it it's ex- interesting new music that's different from the norm it's alternative. Well, yeah <laughs> i guess new wave is the uh, the 80s version of that isn't it right yeah right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but yeah you know you've got you got acts as different as steel pulse and Klai Snowmeat in this. And, you know, you you couldn't get any further apart in terms of of style and content, but it makes sense in this context, you know? Growing
4: up not catching the initial beginning of punk, but growing up through enough of of the second phase of it, I would actually argue and say that what is displayed in this film through all the different artists is closer to the initial concept of punk than what punk was to become
2: I would agree with that yeah I think that's an interesting statement but I would totally agree with that what I mean is that punk initially
4: was just do whatever the hell you want to do find your path and follow it and out of that came some ska that we're going to get into a lot of it came into like rockabilly countrybilly like for example X and the blasters and that kind of thing there was the whole electronic thing yeah you know like for example bands like Suicide
2: again it's a very broad term but what is now known as indie independent uh, certainly in the uk it's indie or i suppose i don't know college rock would be like the 80s term in uh, in the states and canada maybe but i I suppose you know people like wall of voodoo or those kind of artists would kind of fit into that category at this point
4: we're going to get into it when we go over the performers but some of the music that is in this film that still holds up through the test of time but then there's some of it where i'm thinking (laughs) no (laughs) holy
2: shit man like you couldn't even get arrested today playing that yeah totally we should point out at this uh, stage as well that when we get into talking about the uh, performers and performances we are talking purely about our own personal opinions here and uh, sure <laughs> let's sure. hope we don't put anybody's nose out of joint no
4: no <laughs> no but I mean it's just through a, a skewed lens but still so
2: Tim where did you when did you first become aware of Urga Music World when was the first time you saw it
4: well I think we used to have what they called in the 80s pay television mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was pay, pay TV channels and we had a channel called first choice. And I remember seeing this on first choice. And then I remember seeing it again or bits and pieces of it. There used to be a show called The All-Night Show in the 80s. Yeah. Where it was kind of a funny thing where there was this guy, Chaz Lowther, where he played a security guard and he was like a security guard in a TV studio overnight watching the whole building and while they weren't, you know, nobody was there, he'd start messing with the editing equipment and stuff and he started broadcasting what he wanted to watch. Hmm. So then there was clips of this in The All-Night Show. I remember seeing the cramps on there and Gang of Four and, yeah, I'd say early, like, Early '80s, or '84, okay. '85. You
2: know, so only a few years after it, uh, it initially right. came out, yeah. Because
4: this wasn't the kind of thing that w- it went over gangbusters.
2: Mm-hmm. I really think your music war went
4: over like a fart in church. To tell you the honest
2: truth, I don't think it actually got a massive. Uh, obviously, it was shown in in uh, cinemas, but I don't think it had a massive release at the time. And I think it just kind of slipped out on video fairly quietly.
4: Well, they have those midnight screenings, you know, these days. Sure. Oh yeah, But, yeah. I mean, but you can't. Back your packet for what you put into it from Midnight mm-hmm. Screen, but here's something to be said about this, though. Because I don't know if you knew this, Bernie, but they actually released the soundtrack to this a year before the film came out.
2: Yeah, I I had heard that. In a way, it was kind
4: of a smart move because you get everybody you know sussed on all the music, and then to go out and see mm-hmm. the film, the, the visual that goes along with you know you already know this, the music.
2: I mean, the film is to a certain extent a showcase for artists who are on perhaps A and IRS. Those lower IRS particularly was uh, Miles Copeland, Stuart Copeland's brother was quite strongly right. involved and so it kind of makes sense that they put the LP out there first or at least, you know, that they, they assembled the film with the idea of the LP in mind as well or vice versa. Right, right. You know, it, it certainly stands up as a film, it's a lot of fun but you can kind of perhaps think of them seeing it as a tool to sell records more than it was sure. to promote the film, you know?
4: Right, right, right. Most films that came out with a soundtrack mm-hmm. the soundtrack was basically released in conjunction with the film
2: sure yeah yeah
4: and this was like one of the few times I actually saw that it, it
2: was a different thing. I think there's a couple of cuts of the film as well, isn't there? There's one which right. is just over two hours and one which is just over 90 minutes. And I don't think either of them have the exact same content as the soundtrack LP. I might be wrong there. I think you're right. It's interesting that, you know, the soundtrack LP is, is a more of a sort of cherry-picked version of what's in the film.
1: World, but I know I won't be I run the but I
4: gonna go over some of the artists that are documented on this film and some names are familiar maybe some names aren't
2: i just point out as well that obviously it's all live performances that were shot i believe mainly in los angeles some in london and some in a few other places
4: and there's no interviews in this at all this is straight stage performance that's it there's no explanation as to motivation or you know inspiration none of this shit this is all filler I mean, uh, no filler, <laughs> all thriller.
2: Some killer, some filler, but there's plenty of both. Yeah, yeah.
4: So, um, you know, we've got, let's see here The Police, Wall of Voodoo, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, Early OMD, Oingo Boingo Boingo, Echo the Bunnymen, XTC, The Go Go's, The Dead Kennedys, Gary Newman, Joan Jett, Magazine the cramps perubu devo gang of four i mean this is ridiculous man how mm-hmm. like you know initially you're thinking there's not much here but oh my god there is
2: yeah yeah x
4: and a very young toya wilcox now
1: that
4: Which is very interesting, because for those of you who are not familiar with Toya Wilcox, I think you are familiar with Toya Wilcox. (laughs) Because Toya Wilcox, well, you can explain, Vern.
2: See, it's funny you say that, Tim, because certainly in the UK at the time, Toya was huge in this period. I'd say 83 to about 83. Actually, maybe even like 78, 79 through to 82, 83. I mean, she was a proper pop star that had come from, I guess... I mean, I don't know. that She wasn't hanging out with the Pistols, was she? But she was certainly... She was in Jubilee, the Derek Jarman film, which um, has a, a very sort of big punk contingent involved with that.
4: I'd say she was closer to along the lines of something like Adam and the Ants.
2: Yeah, kind of. Do you know what really struck me whilst watching her performance here? It's, it's very theatrical, and uh, it's very proggy you can definitely sort of draw a line from 70s prog bands through to the kind of stuff she was doing which kind of makes sense when uh, you know as you probably all out there know she's married to uh, robert fripp yep um, and, uh the
4: sunday and sunday lunch Their uh, sunday
2: lunches on youtube are definitely worth having a look at yep. if you haven't at this point point. and she was uh also probably a year or two ago now i'm not sure if you were on the episode or not but mike white joined us and we talked about breaking glass with hazel
4: o'connor right,
2: hazel o'connor yeah and uh yeah hazel o'connor was very similar in her kind of theatricality of the performance and so on yeah but i, I remember as you know as a child as a like you know eight nine ten year old toya was like constantly uh in the charts and on Top of the Pops and in Smash Hits magazine and stuff. don't know if that really translated to other countries. Maybe this was an effort to do that but certainly in the UK she was very popular.
4: So um, when was the first time you really heard about Ergon Music World? Bernie?
2: I wasn't aware of it at the time. I probably only became aware of it through seeing segments of it in, in various other places and to be honest I can't even remember what those places were but as a film I was probably aware of it 15, 20 Twenty years ago but i only saw it for the first time maybe two or three years ago and this was actually only my second viewing uh to talk about it now so yeah one of those things that you know i've been aware of for a long time but just never had the opportunity to see it really you know as we were saying it for a long time it has been difficult to see
4: as you said earlier you know you don't want to put anybody's nose at a joint but let's get into the thick and thin of this here who are the artists or what performances really stood out for you good and bad
2: yeah sure okay well the, the good ones Uh, do you know it's funny as as I was watching it yesterday I thought I'm gonna make a list of each artist and write a one word description as we go right I ran out of steam after about six (laughs) unfortunately but I think OMD I thought were very good Uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark that was a really big song over here in ola Gay. oh yeah i remember that there's a lot of sort of energy in their performance and you know bear in mind at the time as well 81 using sort of synthesizers and electronics as well as live instruments like that that was uh, a pretty new sound
4: it, it's funny because you know when you see the beginning people wouldn't believe you today like younger generations but mm. when you see the beginning of like depeche mode or omd well, yeah, yeah. or um, don't you want me Big be oh, oh, human that, leak uh, human Human league. human league yeah all of yeah. that stuff they were like almost like basic casio keyboard stuff yeah it was yeah, all totally. you know, yeah. really really prime simple basic casio keyboard stuff so i mean for omd to come up with anola gay when well, that's i just i still remember that keyboard
2: yeah totally hypnotic isn't it it's, yeah, real. it's
4: so simple
2: yeah no totally i thought they were great i thought the go-go's were really good glow i wrote as my description for them but again a, a lot of energy they had this real sort of positive this kind of like fuck you we're up here doing this vibe to them do you know what i mean right. which i thought was really infectious good great song as well dead kennedy's who were always good value Hello. the irony of seeing a band like the Dead kennedy's
4: right it's funny seeing jello
2: biafra so young it's crazy almost like a child isn't he in this yeah yeah. but it's just ironic that you know you see them in a film that's kind of promoting the idea of new wave whereas they would have spent a lot of time rallying against labels like that right
4: right exactly
2: but great performance still pulse i thought were really really good
1: Face to face With my four Disguised in violence From hip to toe I'll holler at the bar Kugluck's club Now let me go now Kugluck's club To let me go There's nothing Intentioned Racer on me
4: God
2: Great song And uh, some guy dressed up As a clansman uh, Running around the stage Right It's kind of fun The Cramps Fucking That's... amazing One of the all time Great performances
1: right now!
4: that's the one for me that sets the house on fire right there
2: and you know this is like 81 and they were you know I know they've been around since what 76 77 yeah yeah they were just fucking untouchable you see them and it's ev- oh, just perfect everything about it is perfect greatest front man in the history of music Lux Interior I don't think I'm overstating that no
4: no one thing it gets me though is it's not them but I don't know if you noticed this but it seems like they use stock crowd footage
2: yeah yeah yeah.
4: through all of the film. You see the same guy for about six or seven performances <laughs> going, yeah! So, when you notice that, the performances are all killer, but it
2: kind of, you know,
4: stilts it a little bit. It's you know, It
2: almost it's just takes like, you out of it, doesn't it? It just it right. makes it slightly unreal. But I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think that kind of works in a way. I don't know. But it is funny, like you say, when, you know, you see the cramps, re- literally tearing it up while they're playing tear it up. And then it cuts to the audience and it's like some guy with highlights in his hair and a perm and a mustache and a sweater draped over his shoulders it's like you know really getting into it oh
4: one guy looks like the drummer from boston with yeah. a big fro <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> is this the yeah definitely not the same concert man no 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 yeah cramps amazing au pairs amazing great song great musicianship underrated band i think i think gang of four get a lot of the plaudits and i think the au pairs were doing a very similar thing as good if not better great great band great performance herubu were amazing David Thomas is just—he was on top form, just fantastic.
4: There are artists in this film that are really going all the way out and flying their freak flag and doing their thing, and Dave Thomas is no exception.
2: More so than most, I think. in this Oh
4: yeah, He's, but I love—I yeah. love the beginning. He's just like, I hear the birdies, <laughs> I hear the birdies, the birdies, yeah, I hear the birdies. You know, and he's, and he's just does not care. He looks more like a, a tax assessor.
2: Yeah, yeah, like an accountant or something. Yeah,
4: like an accountant up there in a three-piece suit.
2: He commits to what he's doing. I mean, obviously, it's an act, but he's he's committed to it, and he's believing it, and he's performing it. Amazing. And, of course, you know, they're a, a great band as well, so musically it's... Fantastic. And and again, one of the more out there, weirder entries in, in this film, you know? There's
4: a visual element to a lot of music, but, you know, for example, we'll get into Klaus Nomi. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but, okay. But, but with Ubu, they were more like performance art. It wasn't so much about the visual aspect of it. It was about the performance. Like, the
2: whole thing. Just, yeah. yeah,
4: the whole yeah. thing. Not just a musical performance, but just what they were doing.
2: They were creating their own art. And you almost get the impression that they'd have been doing this even if there was like two people in the audience. It wouldn't exactly. have it. They were just They were there in their world doing their thing.
4: And then you get guys also that fall into this kind of thing, like John Cooper Clark. Round
0: the block. Against the clock, a tick tock, tick tock, tick tick tock.
4: Running out of breath, running out of socks. Rubber on the road, flippity flop, non-skid agility. Chop chop, no time to hang about. A workout, elf
2: fanatic. A workout. Yes, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. He's doing his spoken word.
2: Yeah, again, he's committed to his aesthetic and his performance, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And considering he is just up there reciting poetry, I mean, to do that in front of a large crowd there to see sort of noisy, upbeat punk new wave music, and uh, not only to do it, to do it well and have the audience respond to you, is, is something else.
4: That's pretty fucking punk rock, if you ask me, where you get a whole crowd that's just like, kill, destroy, and discuss it. I'm going to read you some poetry.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, and it was like, "Fuck
4: you, man! Like, we don't want fucking poetry." And no, I'm going to give it to you. You know, like, you know, and you're going to like yeah. it. Yeah, and you're going to like it. Yeah, exactly.
2: wanted to quickly mention a couple of others Devo were uh, as you expect fucking great super tight musicianship and a really good kind of stage show Gang of Four were really good as well You know, it really struck me whilst watching them here that Steve Albini, in most of his bands, Big Black and Rape Man and Shellac, totally just stole the guitar sound and guitar style from Gang of Four. Just that kind of scratchy, metallic sound, you know?
4: That's funny that you mention that, because, like... The beginning of uh not to go off on a tangent but uh the big black song kerosene
2: mm, yeah yeah
4: the beginning of that song it
2: totally sounds like gang of four yeah it absolutely does yeah yeah and x were the other band i wanted to mention i, I mean I, I love x anyway they were just shit hot here totally on fire and i just love the way the x scene and john sing together the way they sort of harmonize around each other just works perfectly for me
4: I've always found that they had this whole Bonnie and Clyde thing going on. It's weird because it's almost like two characters out of a
2: hard-boiled detective and all. It absolutely is. You can totally see that, can you? Yeah. For me, there's a couple of things that really stuck out. Magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love magazine.
4: I thought they were great. The flesh tones were a lot of fun. yeah. And, you know, I I got to see them live much later
2: They're still playing now, aren't they? Are they still around? Yeah, yeah Yeah, Peter Zaremba,
4: I think, I'm not sure he's got health issues or not But I mean, I remember seeing them back in the 90s And they were a blast And the one performance, too, that I think with the music that still sticks with me Gary Newman down in the park (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. I was I was going to mention this. This is Kind of one of those legendary performances, and kind of for the right reasons, but also kind of for the wrong reasons. I mean, it is a proper Spinal Tap moment. I think he, uh, for people who haven't seen this, he comes out on stage in a uh, the, the stage is like you know swathed in loads of uh, dry ice, super uh, smoky, and he comes out in this kind of little electric car, which sort of just looks a bit like an electric wheelchair with a car body put over the top or something, and he, he sings. The song was basically just driving back and forth around the stage. It's not a massive stage. He hasn't got far to go. He can't pull any real manoeuvres. Yeah, it's one of those kind of, what the fuck, moments. Having said that, the song's good, and the band, who was sort of on a riser in the background playing, are really good.
4: I had a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago saw wow. Gary Newman play. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And he played that. He's still playing it, and it's still amazing. You Do you think
2: he's still got the car he's driving around in? I don't stage. know,
4: like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he's getting up there in age. I mean, he might need a little motorized
2: scooter. You know? I think he probably would at this point. Yeah, yeah. But well, certainly it's a memorable performance, isn't it, for whatever reason?
4: And what's funny, too, believe it or not, even, is uh, the police in this. How can you say that you're not responsible? What does it?
1: What should it be
4: Say what you will about the police The later stuff The early stuff They were considered part of the pop movement too Absolutely And for a three piece It's amazing when you consider like Andy Summers was playing blues and playing other stuff before the police like he was never really a rock and roll guy but when you see the combination of him Copeland, and Sting you can't get much tighter than that
2: they're really dynamic musicians together aren't they I mean again when I was 9-10 years old the police were huge I mean they were this was just before they became worldwide superstars I guess but those uh, albums uh, what was it Outlandos Amor and Rigetta de Blanc and and so on I had all those on cassette and all my friends at school had them on cassette and we were just obsessive about them and you know you listen to that stuff now and it holds up and it is pretty much better than anything that any of them have done since
4: oh yeah everybody thinks of them for Roxanne and you know the bigger hits but for me I think the first thing I ever heard of them was uh, me and my camel oh yeah 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 or uh, walking on the moon yeah yeah like I mean it was just the earlier stuff actually believe it or not the police for a couple of years toured almost a pre-Lollapalooza called the police picnic because oh, okay. it was two years in Toronto just outside of Toronto where the police headlined and I think it was Elvis Costello Joan Jett I think it was uh, the specials and Killing Joe played
2: the oh, one. wow so, yeah that's crazy isn't it but the police were the headliners. Do you think that the footage of the police in this film, not the first song, that seems to be from a different venue, but the last couple of songs seem to have been filmed at some sort of package deal or festival type thing? Because that's uh, it's in some kind of amphitheater somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. And also the performances from, I think it's Scarfish. And UB40 and XTC and maybe another band. I can't remember which one, but they all seem to be playing in the same place. And right at the end, they all sort of come on stage together. So I wonder if that was one of those kind of police picnic type deals.
4: I don't know if they did any of the other shows outside of Canada, but I know the two two years in a row they had the police picnic. There's only one kind of performance in all of this of, with all the artists to me that really stands out as not really belonging okay what do you think is there one that you saw that you're just like well what's this doing in
2: here the one i kind of felt like that maybe surf punks it seemed a little uh, one joke idea so i'm surprised they sort of made it into something to me it was joan jen the Blackhearts. oh okay all right
4: Not to say that the performance was bad in any way shape or form because it's not. It's just the fact that they were just like a straight rock and roll band. Yeah. Like Bad Reputation it's a great song they blasted it just seemed out of place to me compared in comparison to you know all the other kind of eclectic stuff that's the lineup.
2: I guess in a weird way Joan Jett was kind of part of the old guard by this point as well having been in the Runaways and done solo stuff. So yeah no I, I see what you're getting at. Like you say it, the performance was fine but you know you wouldn't have of missed it if it wasn't in there. You know uh, Noel Fielding from the Mighty Boosh. Right. Yeah, I think that he stole his look completely from Joan Jett in this film. <laughs> <laughs> <I> <laughs> look look at the picture of them both side by side and uh, tell me what you think.
4: The guy who kind of goes the furthest in all of this to the you know utmost at, at uh, end of the spectrum is Klaus Nomi. Yeah. Total. It's,
2: it's a total.
1: It's
4: Now, how do you explain Klaus Novi, Bernie, to people who are not familiar?
2: Okay, well, musically, it's got that... I would almost say he's similar in a way to the sort of music that Toya's band were playing in this. It's got that sort of proggy theatrical feel to it. Not a particularly memorable song, but Klaus himself is, I guess he sings in what you would call an operatic way. Yep. Um, again, very theatrical, uh, strange makeup and haircuts. Just a strange looking guy in general, to be honest. And he has kind of you know dancers and a kind of stage show and stuff going on. So I, I think in that respect, he kind of he sticks out like a sore thumb in comparison to everyone else in this. Whether that's a good or a bad thing.
4: You might have seen Klaus Nomi actually, believe it or not, on Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? Da- I didn't know. That. Backing David Bowie as one of his backup ah, singers. Oh okay, all right. Bowie does uh, TVC 15 live, and I think he actually toured <laughs> with Bowie for a while as a backup singer. But uh, Klaus. Know me is almost like imagine an effete. Kabuki performer singing Madame Butterfly over disco.
2: Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's
4: kind of something like that. But, I mean, you know it when you hear it. And to see this guy for the first time, you, you're not going to
2: forget it. I do think, I don't know, This it sounds a bit unkind, but I, I think it was kind of a shtick. It was about the performance and it wasn't necessarily about the music. I mean, I can't imagine anyone seriously buying a Klaus Nomi LP and actually listening to it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Is, is that a bit harsh or not? I I don't know.
4: Well, I think I I would really compare him and I don't want to compare but like uh, somebody who came out of the late 70s like Joe Briath.
2: sure but I, I think someone like Joe Briath musically was just a bit more interesting uh, I don't know I, I guess in, I don't really know enough about either of them but just going on what I've heard
4: right he seems like a definitive 1980s uh, icon
2: yeah sure you
4: know just the whole look if you've ever seen the Venture Brothers he shows up on oh, the really? Venture Brothers okay yeah as one of the henchmen for one of the guys because there's like Iggy Pop and Klaus Nomi and then forget what else but it's really funny. So, what was your least favorite
2: performance here? Well, I'll be honest the Klaus Nomi one was was up there for me (laughs) yeah I'll be honest I don't have much affection for bands along the lines of Chelsea 999 who were both in this I just find that stuff just pretty boring it's it's very sort of meat and potatoes pub rock version of punk rock it's pretty basic and you know there's energy there and stuff but just sort of boring songs for me so I didn't particularly like either of those the surf punks as I say I, I felt were just kind of like a one joke band I'm surprised they even made it into this and their uh, the performance as well was a little women in bikinis some guy trying to wrestle a woman's bikini top off was a little bit and we kind of be on that at this point but then this is 1981 not that it makes it any better John Otway I've never been a particular fan and again interesting performance but didn't really do it for me and Splojanesima Bangs or whatever they're called they're, they're always kind of a joke Right. anyway ironic that they're singing that uh, a rolf harris Well, not ironic but funny they're singing a rolf harris song here and when you consider what happened with rolf harris and how uh how that all turned out no i mean there's no outright bad performances in it no do you know what i mean but some of them just connect with you and some of them don't what about you
4: what was it athletical spears
2: Oh, uh, yeah, Spiz uh, Energy, I think, they yeah. changed too, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Nothing memorable there, yeah. Now,
4: one thing that I think is interesting with this is that there's kind of a balance here between West Coast, California, New Wave and Punk. And then the English end of things.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: I mean, like, obviously, like, the cramps were not from the West Coast, but there's a lot of stuff. Like, like, for example, Wall of Voodoo were out of California. Oingo Boingo were out of California.
2: X, obviously. The
4: Go-Go's X. But then you had more East Coast stuff like Peribou, Devo. Yeah, yeah. and, And the cramps and the flesh tones, you know. So, yeah, like, I think
2: it's a fair representation. You know, for me, American punk, whether it be the West Coast stuff, the Los Angeles stuff, the New York stuff, Stuff coming out of Ohio or whatever it has always been infinitely more interesting than the kind of the British stuff, the homegrown stuff. The, you know the sex pistols the clash all that stuff really you know I can understand in context how that was important and the changes that were going on but musically I've always found that stuff not that interesting pretty dull and I just wonder if it's almost the the exoticism of listening to a similar thing from somewhere else like maybe people in the states are more interested or, or find British punk rock from that period more genuine or interesting than what was actually coming out in the states at that time I don't know Perhaps that's just me, but... Not
4: to throw stones or anything, but I mean, I remember back in the day, there was a term, postcard punks.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah.
4: And I think that when you see, like, the Clash, they were more fashion-oriented, and the Pistols were more fashion-oriented, as much as they say they weren't. But then you get bands like Killing Joke, sure, or bands like Joy Division, that were just like, establishing their own kind of identity, you know, and not so much about what they were wearing
2: yeah yeah i guess it's you know it's it's always the case when you have bands which are popular or known you're going to get a lot of people doing the similar watered down version of of what they do and i I think a lot of uk and like what would be termed i suppose that sort of first wave uk punk is people doing their own version of what the sex pistols were doing a lot of it's pretty dull i don't know i think with me as well it's an age thing if i was five years older i might have a different feeling about this but for me like post-punk has always been more interesting than punk but then there was there were some things that you can't
4: replicate for example I can't think of many uh cramps cover bands or Devo cover bands sure yeah, you know? yeah yeah it is funny because it's like even with bands like the Ramones it's like yeah you can play those songs but you ain't playing it like that that's right you know like you could you know, you can learn the chords but no one's gonna play it like that unless you're them
2: yeah th- I mean this is the kind of thing you can talk about for hours isn't it it's it's, it's a mixture of uh, inspiration talent or lack of talent, or, I mean, how do you define these things? You just can't, you go around in circles, but you know it when you hear it, don't you?
4: Right, so here's the question that I'm putting out to you, Bernie, is that, obviously, you know, from us talking about this, there was a lot of enjoyment we got out of this but is there enough here in the complete package to really urge people to go and suss this out or is it just an archive
2: i don't know i I think so i mean if you've got any interest in punk post-punk or uh, you know again the term new wave music from that period in the early 90s this is a pretty good cross-section of american and british bands and i think what makes it good i mean when i initially watched it and saw the lineup i kind of thought well i wouldn't put that band in there and what about this band why isn't that band in there but when that's taken out of your hands and it is just this cross-section that's put together in front of you i don't know it kind of makes sense it works i think
4: what's a real trip to me is that consider this right all these performances are almost 50 years old
2: yeah right i know
0: editors insert it's 40 actually
4: now if you think about that okay yeah think like 81 okay 50 years before that was
2: 31 (laughs) it's insane isn't it yeah yeah
4: yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. and i mean and it's it's insane how so much of this music is still like i say it doesn't age
2: the good stuff never does does it good art it's good art good music is good music Yeah, yeah i will say if i've got a criticism of the film and it's only a very tiny one i think it's possibly a little too long having said that i did watch the two hour version i'm not sure how the the hour and a half version plays but after about an hour and a half I was flagging a little bit do you know what I mean right right because it's just bang 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 in your face and you don't get much of a chance to sort of catch your breath but then you know that's the nature of a concert film isn't it but for me personally I could have done with it being a little shorter I mean I don't think it really needed those two other police songs at the end
4: well I was about to say like they were the ones who basically got the majority of the spotlight because Gang of Four they have a couple of songs but there's not a lot from anybody else though like more than one song
2: yeah i'm not sure how it was put together in terms of filming whether they invited bands a couple of bands to play in certain venues and then filmed a few songs from each whether they filmed entire concerts and just took one song out i I really don't know how that worked with this it's difficult to find out much info about that there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of of info on shooting and and so forth out there so
4: i guess like i said it sounds to me like both of us are on the same page so i think we. We, we can both highly recommend this as Absolutely, something yeah. to look out for. And uh, hopefully, you know, somebody – I can see somebody like Rhino putting this out in the yeah. future.
2: I think it would be nice if it is a rights issue. It would just be nice if someone could uh, get that sorted. I could see a nice box set here. I, I wonder if there might be other footage that was shot and not used. It could be like when they reissued the uh, Decline of Western Civilization. They could do a nice little two-disc special edition of this and I'd be all over that. To tell you the truth,
4: full disclosure, I've never ever really been 100% a fan of the concert film because unless it's done really well, for example, the talking ads, you know, stop making Mm -hmm. sense it's incredible because you know just the way it's shot but generally i find concert films are like cooking shows to me it's (laughs) like you can see it but you can't smell it
2: yeah yeah yeah
4: you're not consuming it in a a full manner you know you're just watching somebody else go through the motions of it
2: you've been to a lot of shows over the years tim and and i think you'll agree it's actually being at a show and being part of a crowd watching a band on stage there's that kind of communion that relationship that energy that you get in that situation which is impossible to replicate just by watching a recording or listening to a recording of it. They're two different things, aren't they, completely?
4: And it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about stock footage of the crowd, where the cramps are just tearing the place down to the floor, and the crowd's just kind of like, yay! I would have rather seen people just, you know, jaws on the floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pants me shit, you know, just like, what the hell? It's like, oh my God, they're seeing the second coming. But anyway, I just want to briefly, before we end today. um, We've got another little film here to talk about, Dance Craze.
0: The music that changed the world. Together for the first time on the big, big screen, Bad Manners, the Beat, the Body Snatchers, Madness, the Selector, and the Specials. Here it is, Dance Craze. You're not in the mood today. That, that back from this opposite. It.
1: This might not be half-time to but we promise you a dream.
4: And this is a ska, again, I don't want to call it a documentary, it's a concert film. came out in 81 out of England, and it was basically a showcase of what was going on in the whole the two-tone ska movement. I was going to say,
2: it's, the, the two-tone scene, uh, again, around that time was, was huge. Uh, looking back, it was a, a golden age, man. The charts were full of stuff like that, the oh, bands yeah. that are in erg and the specials and the beat and madness and the selector bad manners yeah manners yeah yeah
4: this was you know a showcase of what was going on at the time what you're just saying about how you know everything was in the charts one thing i love about this film is that it doesn't use that stock footage of the crowd. The crowd and the audience are one and the same. It's more like shooting like a house party, the way they um, kind of encapsulate all the performances in this. And you can see, like, it was unreal. Like the audiences that a lot of them pulled in, like with the specials and selector. Like I, you know, there's a you can see the definitive energy in the reaction that all these bands are getting.
2: I was going to say, what'd you make of this, Bernie? Bad boy, Tim. I didn't get around to watching it. I'm afraid. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sell it to me Tim sell it to me what
4: a lot of people don't understand is that if you're a younger generation when you think of the term skinhead mm-hmm. you know it's got a negative connotation and the whole white supremacist you know, Nazi loving bonehead connotation but the original skinheads and rude boys all came out of a lot of the music that came out of the Caribbean and, and, and Trinidad and the original like you know Prince Buster and King Tubby all of this stuff and, and original and reggae and Dub, and it was more of a bridge that could bring races together. And this was an incredible thing because, I mean, at that time, you didn't have predominantly just straight white bands, like, for example, the English Beat.
2: selector and you know and a lot of these bands well i'm guessing pretty much all the bands in in this film i mean certainly that two-tone wave of stuff it it was all it was black and white people in the same bands yeah
4: but it wasn't even an issue of black and white yeah absolutely yeah just bands just music there's another documentary that we need to cover in the future about the rock against racism and i think that this was a huge thing that really at the time i don't want to call this for lack of a better term poverty music
2: well working class would be a better working class yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. the working
4: class movement yeah a lot of it like Northern Soul brought together people of different ethnicities and walks of life and just the love of
2: music well we should also briefly point out Tim that there was a big crossover between punk and kind of reggae as well oh absolutely the Slits obviously were uh, hugely influenced by reggae and you had uh, obviously The Clash were hugely uh, influenced by reggae and you had uh, Don Knotts is it who was quite uh, Don Letts Don Don Letts Notes. That's somewhere oh, entirely, no, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh, what are you? Don Letts I'm so sorry Don if you're listening yeah Yeah, yeah, he he was was hugely involved in in sort of both camps and you know John Lydon was a huge fan of reggae and
4: he had bands like Blacky Huru too
2: yeah totally
4: that know crossover as well but the energy that came out of the whole two-tone movement well you ever see that film Rock Around the Clock in the
2: 50s oh the one with Bill Haley yeah with Bill Haley right yeah
4: yeah. when you're younger and you see that you think no man like this is a joke when they were saying everyone he was tearing up the floor or like right you know you know, you kind of snicker at it right but if you were there at that time they were burning the house down
2: yeah sure yeah
4: and it's the same thing with this is that when you see like the crowds, like I'm talking shoulder to shoulder, like a full hall with, you know, like Pauline from Selector, you know, just getting them into a friend, like everybody Mm -hmm. just pogoing and just singing every word, word for word, every song word for word, you know, and it's just like, it's just infectious. Every single performance in this is like that. It's just like, I don't know if they just stacked the deck and just got the best of the best from what they wanted, because obviously these are from different shows. It just seems to me like every single performance this, the crowd is just like in the palm of their hand. And even even like early Bad Manners.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly before they went into the, the more sort of pop stuff, they were totally committed, authentic, ska kind of band, weren't they?
4: Oh, absolutely. Do you ever get the chance to see Bad Banners?
2: Uh, no. A friend of mine who I used to work with, he was a huge fan, and he saw them a number of times, I think. But uh, I never got around right into
4: it. I saw them in the early 90s, and they played a small place in Toronto. And it's funny, because like, Bust their singer. If you can imagine, like he looks like the Uniroyal Tire Band. And he's like this big boy. He's a big, big guy. And with a refrigerator of a belly. Yeah. He got up on stage and it was a Sunday afternoon, the show in Toronto. Within two minutes, the whole floor was full of people dancing. There was no hesitation. There was no warming the crowd up. It was just like a light switch. And I was blown away for a band from the early 80s. Ten years later, whatever, in a Small little place it's like they electrified the floor and everybody was, was getting zapped you know it was unreal
2: peeling people off the ceiling yeah
4: these, a lot of these bands are still added I mean like the English Beat just played here about a week ago with uh, Dave Wakeling and Roger and all those guys and the music's still great you can find this on YouTube by the way I should mention just put dance craze movie and you'll find it but this one is a really nice slice of giving you an example if you never really heard ska before or don't know a lot of the two-toned sound, this is a great, great cut of what it was like.
2: Do you think, does it make a good counterpoint to the uh, to Urg? Maybe it would make a, a good double build, you think?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, there was a, a full album of Dance Craze that came out as sure, a soundtrack. Sure, I
2: believe that, yeah.
4: And it was a big seller because, I mean, I remember working in record stores where we'd get this NA and it would be gone almost like the greatest hits, you know, of just, right. you know, yeah. everything, everything you needed being Scott instead of wanting to go out and buy the album you can buy this one album and get you know it's like if you like this you go out and buy all the albums but if you're not sure this is the best you're going to get
2: i did notice i was just looking at the details on imdb about dance craze and director joe massett the film he made prior to this a few years earlier incredibly is led zeppelin the song remains the same yeah so that's Kind of wild that uh, from one uh, one extreme to the other. That's uh, that's kind of crazy.
4: Yeah, but I mean, what's funny about that too, though, is that you've seen song remains the same.
2: Uh, not for years, but I have seen it.
4: But with that film, they put in all these little snippets of like Jimmy Page turning into a wizard and <laughs> and driving the race cars and all this, you know, stupid shit that has nothing to do with Led Zeppelin.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Whereas they try to be artistic with that and take liberties. Whereas with Dance Grace, and I'm not saying this guy's a lazy director in any way, shape or form, but it's kind of like with this one, it's like, look, point the camera, turn it on, let it happen.
2: That's it. Well, you know... 76 the song remains the same 81 for dance craze and 76 is the proggy excess era and 81 is the sort of post-punk the ska kind of stuff and it's just like you say it's point and shoot you don't need to embellish it because it's it's all there on stage you know
4: but there's so much energy Mm. that's just radiating off of all like all of this that it's just capturing it lightning in a bottle yeah but this is a fun one I really dug this a lot I'd seen this again years ago there was a channel local Toronto Channel, Channel 79, and they play music movies primarily on late Friday nights and Saturday nights after one o'clock when people come back from the bars. Yeah, and
2: I remember this being on television. That would be the perfect way to watch this kind of thing. In fact, that would be the perfect Friday night double beer. Bring some uh, beers back from the uh, the bar with you and a pizza, and just go through ERG and go through uh, dance Craze. Bring a couple of friends, have your own uh, dance party, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
4: I think the difference between the two though is that with ERG for the you know the younger. Generation than those that love to point and snicker. There's a lot to point and snicker at with Erg, whereas with Dance Craze, it's all in and main. There's nothing really in Dance Craze that you're gonna say, "Oh, well, that's rather goofy" or "That's rather goofy." I mean. mm-hmm. But with Erg, yeah, yeah. there are
2: some, you know
4: there are <laughs> yeah. some moments where you're just like, "Oh boy."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: All right, now we're going to go off to a clip of uh, our brother Morris and our brother Skiz Kizik talking a little bit about Erg the Music War and uh, Skiz's upcoming and hopefully uh, illuminating documentary on Erg the Music War. So afterwards, when we come back, we'll talk about what we're going to be looking at next month.
0: Welcome back to episode 96 of See Here Podcast, and I'm welcoming back to the show. I think you have to be the only person who's been more than once on See Here in your directorial guise. Welcome back to the show, Skizsizik. No, thanks for having me back. And just as a thing to put out there, we'll be having you back yet again within a month or two to talk about your new film, Sound Mechanic. I'm looking very forward to uh, watching that. But let's talk about the subject at hand, which is the film Erga Music War, which we've been discussing in the main part of the show. When I posted in the See Here group that we were going to be covering this, you went and said, oh, I've sort of been off and on doing a documentary for the last 20 years about Erga Music War and I thought right okay need to grab you need to have you on the show to talk about this I really have struggled to find much information about the film that wasn't just fan conjecture about it so you know if you've been doing the documentary then surely you'd have some interesting stuff behind the scenes so I want to start off asking in true projection booth fashion when was the first time you saw the film and what did you think?
3: Interesting story about that I found out about the album before I found out about the film you know I I I was a little punk rock kid and I would visit record stores all the time. And one day I saw the album on the front shelf in the store and it was a specially priced two record set. I think it cost less than a a single record, but it was two records. And I loved compilation albums at at the time because I was really excited by all the new punk and new wave bands, but I didn't have enough money to buy all these records and hear them. So I bought a lot of compilation albums And that enabled me to, to know what a lot of these bands Sounded like So I picked up Urga Music War That the specially priced two-record set And uh, just devoured it Like, I, I couldn't believe it And it was it was my introduction to so many bands That became favorite bands That to this day are still favorite bands And uh, just couldn't stop listening to it Let's see, that would have been 1982, I guess End of the summer of 92 82, sorry 1982, summer of 82 Probably in early 83 I was at a band practice and the bass player, my buddy Paul Lewis, said, you gotta check out this movie, I taped off a night flight the other night, and he pops it in, and it's concert footage, and I immediately recognized, hey, wait a minute, these are all the bands from Erg, these are the actual recordings from Erg, you mean this is a movie as well as an album? And then to my surprise, there was even more bands in the movie than there were on the album, including the Dead Candies who I just absolutely adored at that time and since 1983 I, I've been saying that this album would have been the Woodstock of my generation had my generation cared more about better music <laughs> <You> know, but <laughs> my peers in 1983 they were all about MTV and MTV was all about Phil Collins and well maybe not in 83 but you know it was Michael Jackson. it was mainstream music and at the time here in the states there were only three bands on ERG that I had ever heard on commercial radio and that was the police had had several hits at that point Gary Newman had had Cars
0: and Devo had had Whip it At the time the film was Made the Go Go's hadn't released a record yet. Uh
3: I don't remember when Beauty and the Beat actually came out. The actual year, I think it was right around the time of ERG, but they definitely weren't on the radio yet. Because when they finally were on the radio, I knew who they were.
0: Right. right. You
3: know, and to everyone else, it was it was a new band. But within a couple of years, a lot of the bands on there showed up on MTV, Joan Jett, XTC, Echo and the Bunnymen. So yeah, this album for people like me who bought it when it came out, we knew a lot of these bands before they hit commercial. Radio. Radio.
0: Some of those bands, I think, were already known here, or some of the artists were already known here, like XTC was never mega huge, but certainly by the time that English settlement had come out that was i guess their moment in the sun in this country although we knew songs like making plans for nigel and generals and majors from before that so i mean yeah xtc would have been a known thing by the time merga music war had come out here actually one guy who frequently visited was uh, john cooper clark it seemed like he was down here doing something like every other year or something like that. He was a name over here, but I don't imagine that he would have been a big name in in the States.
3: I don't think he ever became a name here. I think he's probably best known here as the guy in Erg.
0: Uh, (laughs) Just coming back to your point about having bought the record first, when you bought this and you said you love getting compilations, did you realize that you were getting a live compilation or did you just sort of think these were going to be studio cuts or did you buy it with no perceptions at all?
3: The album cover says unreleased live performance is by. So I thought, oh, cool, you know, that's just fine. You know, <laughs> these are all bands I would probably hope to see live one day anyway.
0: Do you know, what was the actual impetus behind the making of the film? Now, you know, besides Miles Copeland finding a way to promote the police and any other actor on the IRS label, do you know, was that his only angle? Because there's plenty of acts in there which aren't on his label. Was this just a thing where Miles Copeland or Michael White, not that Mike White, <laughs> but Michael White, who'd produced The Rock horror show and a bunch of other... Right. Li- I've just been amazed finding out about some stuff this week about him. But was it any of these guys just sort of thinking almost altruistically, wow, these are great bands. The world needs to know about them. What What was the impetus behind the making of the film?
3: You know, if I have an actual answer to that in my research somewhere, I've forgotten what it was and I really probably should have pulled... I have a binder full of research <laughs> that I should have pulled out and looked through. If I remember correctly, and I forget the name of the director of the film, Derek...
0: Derek Burbridge.
3: Yeah, Burbridge. Thank you. If I remember correctly, it may have been him, or it may have been one of the Copelands. Somebody was saying something amazing is happening in music and we we need to document this. You know, We, we need to make a document of what's happening right now, because this is really special. And it really is. And, and like I said, it was really special to me, but it was completely ignored by most of my peers. You know, So I'm really glad this document exists. It's now decades later and I still am telling people about this film that they've never heard of. And I'm like, how have you never heard of this? This was so important to me. And we We all like the same music. How did you miss this?
0: Do you know anything about how successful it was at the time?
3: I don't know that it had actual theatrical runs anywhere. I think it just had special screenings here and there. I'm probably wrong about that, but I seem to remember that it just popped up in town after town like they didn't have that many 35 millimeter prints of it. So it was just circulating from town to town, maybe for one or two screenings and then on to the next town.
0: Since the VHS days, I mean, I didn't watch it back then, but I do remember seeing VHS tape in our life in the 80s the film appears to have had a really spotty release on home media and i think that what i saw this week was that the last time it had been put out was on dvdr on demand from warner brothers right and and missing some songs right were there rights issues what's been stopping this getting a release because it seems like you you can find any number of really obscure music films that get quite celebrated and are put out either on streaming you can find them on tubi on uh, home media or whatever and something like this which as you said your friends might not have known about it but is considered really really important why isn't this getting a release? Is it purely rights issues? Do you know?
3: Uh, yes. If I understand the story correctly, if I get it wrong, I, I encourage people, go find the act, the artist in the film Skayfish. Go find his website and read some of his blog posts because he's covered this, probably explain it better than I can. But the rights were sort of screwed up in the fact that the artists were giving the rights to their songs to be used in certain formats at the time which didn't cover formats of the future. So it was able to be released on VHS, cable and laserdisc and that's all. <laughs> like it, it, it you know the, the wording of the contracts didn't cover future formats. People weren't thinking about DVD or Blu-ray yet or streaming at that time. So whoever actually holds the ownership of the movie now, and there, there's discussion about that too, like Warner Brothers who put out that D didn't really have the rights to do it and that's why it was a DVD-R, not you know, mass-produced. But whoever has it can't really do anything with it without renegotiating the rights to every single song. And at this point they probably won't be able to find some of the, the musicians and some of the musicians probably wouldn't renegotiate. I do know that some of them, like Gary Newman took his footage and some other footage from the same show and released that himself at one point i feel like some of the other bands did too and i, I heard that in my research there each band some bands the entire show was filmed some bands three songs were filmed so somewhere there is a whole lot of extras material that uh i do hope that this album or this movie will come out on blu-ray someday with a whole lot of extras because i would love to see more songs
0: before we get into asking about Your making of this film, which hopefully one day will actually be a thing, but you raise the interesting point there because. What was the format behind these performances? Because, I mean, we're seeing in the film, except for the police, because of Miles Copeland being behind this, getting three songs. Everyone else really gets just the one song. But we're seeing performances labeled as from Frisius and from London and from L.A. and maybe one or two other spots. So were these concerts put on like as multi-artist shows were they designed to be for this film or was it just Michael White and Miles Copeland saying all oh, right these artists are going to be at this place we'll negotiate with them for this film were these concerts put on specifically for the purpose of making this film
3: I think some of them were you can tell that you know there's like five bands that were filmed at the same show in LA and and a handful at the same show in New York and a handful at the same show in London The the amphitheater show that opens and ends the thing with the police, that was an actual tour. I think it was police, XTC, Skayfish
0: and... Ooh, UB40, a,
3: a band that isn't in the film.
0: No, 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 um, well, because they call uh, UB40. I think UB40's drummer comes on to play over Stuart Copeland's head. Right. And, and just like I thought, I thought, all right, so that was a specific show or run of shows.
3: Well, that was a whole tour, and I, I think that was the final night of the tour. And I feel like there was some importance in that that maybe started the whole life needing to document what was going on. So they got the final night of that tour and then they shot the other shows. I, I could be wrong. Again, I should have checked my research before <laughs> talking. So, yeah. But, I mean, I know the dates are written on the back of the album cover. So if anybody wants to look that up. And I feel like there was, like, maybe two nights in L.A. that were shot. But anyway, yes, a lot of these shows were put together in order to document all these cool new bands that all had some kind of connection to IRS or A&M or just the people involved were big fans of.
0: So as we said at the start of this chat, you've been working on a documentary about Erga Music War and presumably about the tours and all that went on back then so when did you decide to play detective? Was it because you you were such a fan of this film and you thought no one knows anything about it? What made you start doing this and how easy or not has it been to get access to any of these musicians? How many were willing to talk about it?
3: Okay, where to start? <laughs> I, uh, it was the early 2000s. And I had a friend that started working at Warner Brothers producing DVDs and mentioned the possibility of a 25th anniversary DVD of *Urban Music War. And the light bulb went, went off in my head that I want to make a short documentary about the film that could be used as an extra on that DVD. Of course, that DVD never came out. But I started working on this idea. I started researching like crazy. Like I said, I have a whole binder full of research that I did back then, you know, 20 years ago. And my goal was I was already kind of busy making Ice Pick to the Moon, the film that took 20 years to make. Uh, so I didn't really want to dive all the way into this project, but my goal was whenever anybody from the film came to my area, I would try to line up an interview with them. And for a few years there, that worked really nice. I got the Fleshtones, I got Steel Pulse, I got Devo, I got Gary Newman, uh, I got John Doe from X, I got Stuart Copeland from the Police, I got Dave Thomas from Per Ubu. It was pretty cool. I, you know, just as many bands either ignored me or turned me down, but still, it's cool. I got to meet a lot of the people that were in this film. I. Missed that anniversary, which, you know, luckily the DVD didn't come out then. And I sort of lost steam because, you know, word was getting around that uh, it couldn't come out, that the rights would never be ready. But still, every now and then, if an artist comes to town, I try to line up and and interview interview with them. And I've I've just kept doing that ever since. One of the first things I did when when the pandemic started and I was, like, stuck at home in lockdown, I got out all the old mini-DV tapes that I shot these interviews on. And I put them on a hard drive, and it's like, okay, if I'm stuck at home, I'm finally going to make something out of this footage. And uh, I should say that the name of the film, it's it's not going to be a feature length. It'll probably be like a half hour long, and and the name I was going by was Erg Revisited, because that's what I'm doing. I'm revisiting Erg, and I was going to start putting this together. I got sidetracked by a bunch of other projects, so as far as I got was just getting footage off the the mini-DV tapes. And trying to find the Devo interview, <laughs> it's it wasn't with the rest of them. I know I have it. It's in my house somewhere, but my house is kind of cluttered. So I need to find that. But the gist of the film is it's going to be a part essay, part documentary, where I explain the importance of this film, not just to me, but to musical history, and then get into interviewing the people in the film Get their thoughts on it. How important this was to them. You know, it's going to be kind of weird to make because I know I can't really get the rights <laughs> to anything from the film. But there are ways around that. You know, there's this thing called fair use that if I follow the rules, I might be able to use parts of the film, very small snippets. But I I have it visualized and somewhere I actually have it all written out on paper how I want it to to go. just need some time where I'm not already working on a bunch of other projects to sit down and, and work on this and get it done. Rights issues are tricky and even fair use you know, I, I know a lot of filmmakers that feel like they can use whatever they want and just claim fair use, and it doesn't work that way. So there are rules to follow, and I plan to follow them. <laughs> you know, I definitely don't want to make this thing and not include samples of what it's talking about. Again, if any company is going to put Erga Music War out on DVD or Blu-ray, I would gladly offer up this short documentary as an extra because that's why i was making it in the first place
0: given that as we discussed a few years ago you spent so long on working on ice pick to the moon and it did eventually see the light of day i do have every faith that this will eventually see the light of day you you work for the long run
3: i mean the good news is is I, i just finished sound mechanic and it's starting its festival run and i don't have my next project lined up which makes erg revisited my next project so as long as I don't get suckered into making something else.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll be working on Erg, ERG, revisited sometime this summer, I hope. Even though you say like you haven't sort of gone and consulted your notes in a while, but do you remember much about from your conversations over the years with any of these musicians? Was there anything that surprised you? Was there anything that you thought, wow, I had no idea about that?
3: Yeah, across the board pretty much all the, the musicians i interviewed seemed to not think it was that important it wasn't that big a deal to them i was kind of surprised i mean to me this is how i found out about them you know this was this was how i first heard them this is what made me a fan of them and to them they didn't seem to think that it was that important i heard stories of some of them that really didn't like the film i think uh i heard stories about flux interior was asked to uh do something wear something or i i, I forget the story and it's in the notes but he hated how the cramps part of it turned out which is weird because that's the section that is, seems to be the most talked about yep. <laughs> you know and it definitely made me a fan you know by coincidence right now I'm wearing a t-shirt with Steve Lickenstaff artwork on He uh. drew the, the bad, bad music for bad people cramps album cover and my cat Ivy is here right next to me and my <laughs> other cat Lux is on the floor next to me so <laughs> you know without Erg I don't know that I would care about this shirt or have named my cats Lux and Ivy
0: but yeah now you're right that segment of the film and i've only watched the film twice i caught the film a couple of years ago while we were talking to alan arkush about favorite concert films and i wanted to sort of watch a few other things there was a lot that was exciting about these acts and i confess that there are a lot of these bands were either not on my radar or not in my record collection at the time but i'd certainly say that the cramps were Probably one of the most exciting acts in the film. And that's saying something considering that there's a lot of very exciting acts in this film. Okay, so yeah, that is interesting to see that some of these bands didn't look on it all that fondly. Do you think that was as much because they were judging their own segment, as you said, with the cramps? Or just overall, they thought, no, it's just a jukebox of random bands from the time?
3: Yeah, it's hard to say. Some of them even told me that they didn't remember it. They didn't have any knowledge of having been in it, Uh, (laughs) which I just find hard to believe. I tried to line up, I probably shouldn't say the people who turned me down, but I tried to line up an interview with with one person who's from one of the bands and she actually came out and said she has no memory of those times, has no memory of being in this film, has no memory of ever seeing it, didn't know her band was in it. And I'm like, (laughs) really? Really? That's just so hard to believe. It, it it hurts because, you know, as a musician in bands, I would kill for an opportunity to be in something like Erg, you know? Like that would be like the highlight of you know that would be a sad highlight of my life, but right. <laughs> I would hope that I would achieve greater than that, but still that's something pretty great to achieve, to like not remember it or you know, to just sort of blow it off like it's just not that important. It's
0: a little disappointing. I mean look, I'll probably go into this further when we record the main part of the show, but it just seems to me that what makes that film so important, not just because it's a gathering of bands which either had started to become big or were going to become big as the 80s progressed. But unlike today, where you can go onto Tubi or go through your DVD collection and see hundreds, maybe thousands, of concert films or concert videos, whatever, many of them made specifically for TV. Uh, And this is a cinematic film. It looks like a cinematic film, Uh, but there was not that much. You know, a, a few years before there was The Last Waltz, uh, and I'm sure, you know, there are a few other concert films on the time, but not that many. So this was, in my mind, a big deal, not just for who they picked, but for what they were doing. They, this maybe didn't intend to set the tone for what was to come with hundreds of concert films, but inevitably it sort of did.
3: Well, I mean, another thing to think about is the timing. I mean, the movie came out right around the time MTV launched. And MTV was huge because here was like a, a TV radio station where you could see the bands as well as hear them. I think if Erg had come out a year or two earlier, there would have been a bigger response to it because people were... I don't want to say starved, I would have been like, oh my God, I got to go see that, you know, if if I'd heard about it. I did find out that it apparently had a screening in Baltimore. I didn't know anything about it. I certainly wasn't there. But, you know, even some of these bands were on MTV, so people were already watching their music videos.
0: So watching the film again this week, I sort of thought, I mean, a lot of these acts, they fit in the film, but for me the most unusual moment was seeing Jules Holland. And I'm guessing it was in the context of just a moment on a squeeze show or something like that. But do you know, was Jules just happened to be there as a guest at someone else's show or was it part of a squeeze gig?
3: I know there were other bands that played on these shows that didn't show up on the album or the soundtrack. I don't remember if Squeeze was one of them, but I think Jules was part of one of the tours.
0: Because now that I think of it, at the very end of the film, while the police are playing So Lonely, and Jules comes in to play piano for that. So maybe he was part of that of that police tour, but it just seems so unusual. I mean, look, playing blues and boogie-woogie is really where Jules Holland's head was at, but he just stood out. I mean, look, I and I adore Jules Holland and probably I'm more of a squeeze fan than many of the bands who actually appear in Ergan Music War, but it just seemed like a really out there moment in the context of the film.
3: Yeah, I didn't know his name at the time. I knew of Squeeze, but I didn't know the names of the people in the band. So it, it it took me a while to put together that, oh, he's the guy from Squeeze. But yeah, that song... I remember hearing it being like, "What? What's this doing on here?" And then it it really grew on me too because I was like, "This guy can play," you know. <laughs> this, uh, this is actually really cool. And if I were at some punk show and somebody came out and did this, I'd be like, "Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> That's something different." I mean, Klaus Nomi also. <laughs> Klaus Nomi's pretty different from everybody else.
0: The Klaus Nomi bit, and I'll probably end up we'll probably end up speaking about this in the main part of the show. But Klaus Nomi was someone who, until I watched the film, was completely unknown to me. But first thing I looked at him and I thought, oh, are you good friends with Nina Hagen? Because really, they're both taking an operatic approach to punk rock. And I'm a huge fan of Nina Hagen and I've introduced my daughter to her. She's become a big fan since. But yeah, that was another really unusual moment. Now, I, look, over the years, I've gone and objected to the use of the phrase new wave as if it's describing a style of music. I mean, I understand we talk about this is a group of bands who drifted away from what was English pub rock or in Australia, Australian pub rock to something that was completely different. But a lot of the bands like, you know, the police was very different to what orchestral maneuvers in the dark were doing, which was very different to what Klaus Nomi was doing. But for years, people gone and described New Wave like it was a style of music, just like nowadays they say oh, alternative as a style of music and couldn't be further from the truth. It's just a group of bands that they weren't playing playing on mainstream radio. So they're all, we'll put it under this umbrella.
3: and That's what made it all so exciting, is they didn't all sound the same. I always say that about about punk rock in the early 80s. I remember, like, here in the States, some American hardcore punk rock, like, 81, 82, there was a handful of albums you had to have. You know, there were Black Flag, Circle Jerks, The Misfits, Flipper, Dead Kennedys, Fear, X, and, like, none of those bands sound the same. Like, you can tell them apart. And within five years, like, every hardcore punk band sounded like the same band. <laughs> and so I, I would try to say, like, no, it was so much better before there became a uniform, before there became a sound. And, and I think that's one of the things that Erg is, is documenting, you know. And getting, getting back to Klaus Nomi, mm. I was aware of him before Erg, but I didn't know his name. To me, he was the guy that sang backup for David Bowie on Saturday Night Live. Oh. And when I saw him in Erg, I'm like, oh, my God, that's the guy from the Bowie performance. And so that put him on my radar. And actually, if you watch the uh, the Nomi, you've probably seen the Nomi song, right? The documentary
0: in class Klaus Nomi. I've not seen a documentary about Klaus Nomi separately.
3: OK, we'll seek that out. It's called the Nomi song. And I, I want to say they were able to use the clip from Erg. So uh, that's a good
0: sign. Writing that down now. <laughs> So, progression of the film now, you've gone and said that now that the sound mechanic is out, and we'll be discussing that with you in a couple of months. How do you plan on progressing? I mean, you, I think we were speaking in the weekend, you said you've got all these separate so have you actually started assembling it over the uh, pandemic into some into some sort of shape as an overall film how do you want the structure to be what's what's going to happen there
3: uh, well I did watch a bunch of them and made some notes like who covers what and who has similar answers because you know, I definitely thought it'd be interesting to string together all the answers where they say that it wasn't important to them. <laughs> you know just cuz to me it's so shocking but i did start writing you know it, like i said it'll it'll start out as an essay you know of my experience why how i discovered this and why it was important and really i think most of what i'm going to say in the film i've already said here today <laughs> so. So you can, you can, you can skip the film, I guess, but, uh, (laughs) I don't know. I'll probably, uh, probably speak better. I'll probably speak better. My cat's trying to,
0: are you targeting a date? you think, well, I'd like to have this out a year from now or, or just I'll do it as long as I need to do it.
3: Well, I'd like to have it out 20 years ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I've, I've come to learn that when I make plans to make films, it's just not going to work out. I mean, Ice Pick to the Moon wasn't supposed to take 20 years uh Sound Mechanic was only supposed to take two but it took three
0: whoa that's a rush job by comparison skis
3: well yeah that, the whole point I guess we can get into this when we talk about Sound Mechanic but the whole point of it was to make a film in two years because I just finished one that took 20
0: <laughs> I just wanted to make something that was simpler and I wasn't devoting decades to look thanks very much for your time I yeah, thanks for having sincerely me sincerely look forward to seeing Erg Revisited uh, see the light of day i'd love to be able to put a lot of this form in context no thanks so much i'm super glad that you posted something in in the group otherwise we wouldn't have had this chat wouldn't have known about it so yeah huge thanks guys
3: thank you thanks for having me
4: I hope you found that informative, and we're really hoping that Skiz continues his upward climb with uh, Erg. I can't wait to see what he winds up with in the end alright Bernie so uh, what do you think we're going to be perusing into for the next month of C Uh
2: I'll be honest with you Tim I have got no idea I don't know if Morris has something lined up or whether uh, one of us are going to pick a film do you know or I think
4: we'll leave it at mystery for now yeah but, I guess
2: uh, um, we can announce it on uh, Facebook and um, Instagram and so forth so uh, I guess keep your eyes peeled out there so I just wanted to thank
4: everybody on uh, this Easter weekend uh, for tuning in with us and we hope you go out and find these films and enjoy them as much as we did. And like I said, uh, Dance Craze is easily accessible through YouTube. ERG you can find on archive.org. So I uh,
2: encourage you to go and suss them out and enjoy the sounds. Don't forget to join the Facebook group. Uh, just uh, search See Here Podcast. Email address, should you want to send us a missive, uh, I believe it's seeherepodcast at gmail.com. And we are also on Instagram at seeherepodcast, all one word. So, yeah, if you want to... Call us out on anything if you've got any suggestions, uh, anything you like, just uh, reach out, get in touch.
4: All right, with that being said, thanks again, and we'll be with you next month. Cheers.
2: Cheers, bye bye.
0: So